There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, your guide to the fundamentals of better deer hunting. And now, your host, Tony Peterson. Hey everyone, welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. Today's episode is about how easy it is to get your rut timing wrong. We are on the cusp, or so it feels. Any day now, your trail cameras will show serious chasing. One of your hunting buddies is going to call you to tell you about the toad he saw grunting and cruising, nose to the ground. You'll think, well, that's it. I need to get into the woods right now. We've got an early rut going on, and I'm going to miss it. Here's the deal. Don't. At least don't go in with a cavalier attitude, thinking that it's the way it will be on November 7th. It won't be, and you'll just be burning through your best stuff before the big show comes. Trust me on this one. There isn't a hunter alive with a decently impressive trophy room who hasn't learned this lesson the hard way. We all know the rut is based on photoperiodism. The amount of daylight reaching the brains of all those bucks we want to shoot and the does they want to bang is what sets up the pins. A wicked cold front can knock them all down, but it isn't necessary. The rut happens at the same time every year, whether we like it or not, whether we want to believe it or not. While this varies from Maine to Alabama, at least timing-wise, the deer in any given region need their fawns to be born at specific times in the spring to ensure the greatest chances of survival. This isn't accidental. And while there are outliers as far as late breeding, early breeding, and the corresponding fawn drops, you've got to forget about those and consider when the rut has to happen in your neck of the woods. Do you know what that means? It means the third week of October, for many of us, is too early for a reliable rut hunt. There are exceptions, like I said, and conception studies have shown that a small percentage of does will be bred way outside the main window in November, but that's lottery-odd stuff. It's probably not going to happen to you. You could still play off the staging area strategy and maybe the scrape strategy described in the last couple episodes of this podcast. That's a possibility and it's not a bad one. If you need to get out and you need to hunt, it does come with a few caveats. 
if you really want to play it safe until November drops the base and all the deer start to wave their glow sticks around and really party. So first off, while it's easy to get tunnel vision in relation to bucks, you need to be thinking about the does. What you don't want to do now is get careless around the ladies and put them off of their pattern. This is easier to do than we like to admit, because after all, we think the rut will save us. But it might not, and that's an important wrinkle to create in your brain. The rut isn't the end-all to poor deer hunting results for most hunters. It's far, far, far from a guarantee. That only gets worse when you push into your best rut stands two weeks before the real action will probably start. So you have to think about your time in the woods right now in a way that allows you to do a few things. The first is to leave the does alone, or at least not spook them. I know I told you not that long ago to target them, but now, don't. Shooting does is an early October game. Not now. The second thing is that your time in the woods needs to be valuable. Are you going to be in places where observation, real quality observation, is possible? That's important. The buck you see staging at last light deep in the woods, that buck is killable in the next couple of weeks. Or you can see the doe family groups browsing their way through. It won't be long and someone will be on their tail provided they stick to that routine. Lastly, ask yourself what the sign looks like right now. Where concentrations of rubs and scrapes are now is important. It's also important to note where new sign shows up every couple of days. The rub line that goes from so-so to holy shit this week is a spot you're going to want to devote some attention to when the rut is on. But let's start with the does. The biggest mistake a lot of hunters make right now is defaulting back to their field edge or easy-to-get-to stands. They reason that since there should be a few does coming into the cut corn or beans, that the bucks will swing through as well. This may be true, but it probably isn't. And you know what I talk about. It probably really isn't if you're hunting pressure deer. A more likely outcome is educating the does to your presence and putting them off of a pattern that you really, really want them to stick to. This doesn't just happen to the folks who hunt ag country either. If you hunt big wood swamps and have one spot where you usually see a few deer, that's where you're going to want to go. The same goes for western whitetails on river crossings and other deer-heavy spots. The pull to go where the action is, as close to a sure thing as you can get, is a hard one to ignore. We all do it, but that's not that dangerous on October 1st, but it is dangerous now. Let me give you an example to illustrate this. On opening day of 2016's Minnesota season, I slipped into a stand located where several fingers of timber meet. It was opening morning, and my plan was mostly to try to shoot a doe. Now, if a good buck had shown up, I'd have switched gears, but I knew the odds of that were low in this spot. An hour into the morning, I spotted a lone doe walking down the trail. That's the kind of doe I really like to shoot, and I really like to eat. But she was small, and it was early. I hemmed and hawed on it, on whether I should shoot her, but I decided to pass, mostly because she was really small. I sat that stand a couple of times throughout the season, and I saw her every single sit. She was just living there. Now fast forward to the last couple days of October, and I desperately wanted to hunt a stand near a huge community scrape that, according to my cameras, was Buck Central. Even better, the buck I'd been paying close attention to for a few seasons used that scrape somewhat frequently, and by that farm standards, that was huge. At at least 170 inches, I thought that was my only chance to kill that buck. So I really really wanted to go in there for an all-day sit that time of year. But when I got out of my truck in the dark on October 30th, 
That was exactly my plan. I also almost instantly realized the wind wasn't going to allow it. That didn't stop me from trying to talk myself into hunting there, but I just couldn't do it because I knew I'd blow the whole thing up. And it's not very often when a guy gets to hunt a legitimate booner in Minnesota. So I called an audible and I headed back into the stand where the young doe lived. Nothing showed for the first two hours, but then I looked down the trail and a familiar face was trotting my way. She passed by at 15 yards and 30 seconds later, I heard the loudest grunt of my life. I stood up so fast that I nearly peed myself a little and then I got ready. I heard a grunt again and honestly, it was actually more like a roar. To this date, it's the only time I've ever heard a buck make that sound. And I'll tell you what, if big bucks did that more often, the cost of leases would triple because that shit is crazy exciting. And when he showed, he was on a mission to catch up to his young girlfriend, and I had about five seconds to draw, stop him, and shoot. He died just out of sight and proved to be a split-browed 10-pointer that I knew well, but thought wasn't using the area a whole lot. Maybe he wasn't, or maybe I just didn't know about it. But either way, that little doe brought him right in and placed him in my lap. If she had been dead or just put off her pattern, things would have played out differently for me. I'm absolutely confident of that. So handle your does with kid gloves now because you're going to need them really soon. Now let's talk about observation. The woods are open-ish, we'll call it. You can usually see quite a bit and hear a fair amount now. Dialing into distant deer movement is a real possibility. and It's important. I do a lot of sits this time of year, both in trees and on the ground, where my odds of actually arrowing a deer are really low. The goal is just to see them and to figure out who is walking or feeding and where. If you watch a family group of does walking along a ridge today, you can bet they'll probably be there in two weeks. This goes for public land and it goes for private land. Now I know it's random and they can get put off of there, but you just have to operate on the assumption that if you don't screw them up, nobody else will. It also goes for the random does on your trail cameras. If you're getting semi-regular images of does in one of your spots, don't go sit there yet. The camera has done the work for you. Keep those does there and be patient. Now, if you have to observe or you just want to, pay attention to all of the bucks as well. Obviously, you're going to make note of the 140-incher that works his way out of a wooded draw and into a patch of sumac. But what about the forky that feeds and scrapes his way along an overgrown fence line? That deer is important too. What one deer does, other deer will do, including big bucks. You should remember this. In high-density areas with lots of deer, it's crucial And for everyone hunting in low-density areas, it's even more important. Big woods, swamps, whatever. When I'm hunting where very few deer live, every sighting is a gift. It doesn't matter if it's a clueless spike, because how he travels through the big woods is probably how other deer will travel through there as well. Even in flat, mostly featureless cover, there are preferred routes that are easiest to identify through observation. Remember that. Because it's important not only to dialing in those daily travel routes, but keeping sane when you've sat for a few days and haven't seen hardly any deer. Those situations are when confidence in a spot is huge, and you can really develop confidence by watching deer do what deer do. I say that a lot in this podcast, and I know it, but I mean it every time. I also shouldn't have to say this, but I will. If you're going to observe... You can check out all of Mark Kenyon's sweet Insta posts about the best s'mores ingredients later, because now is the time to be watching, to be glassing. When that buck goes through the power line 200 yards away, you want to be able to look at him with your binos and mark the exact trees he walks by. 
when the does pop out in the clear cut, the same rules apply. You're not just there to see deer. You're there to learn about what the deer are doing right now. Just like with summer glassing, make note of the wind direction and the conditions. If the buck you just saw slip through was heading in a certain direction, did he also happen to have a favorable wind? I'll bet he did, and I'll bet that's not a coincidence. This also goes for trail cameras. It's fun to see an image of a buck working a scrape or moving along a trail, but can you look up what the wind direction was then? You should. You might think he'll just go nuts during the rut and run everywhere, but he won't. He'll run where the wind favors him, and those routes are routes he's probably traveled hundreds of times in his life, partially because of how he can live off his nose when he's not concerned about making little bucks. Lastly, let's just talk about sign right now. If you're sitting up in your stand and staring through your binos, can you see any rubs? The peninsula of high ground that juts into the swamp below you, is it all rubbed up? The thing about rubs is they prompt you to ask the question, why there? Why would a buck make a series of rubs on a ridge or down in a bottom? Why is there a random signpost rub in the middle of a thousand acres of Northwoods timber? You might not be able to answer those questions definitively, but you can make some educated guesses. You can probably figure out why a buck would travel in a certain direction while leaving his calling card along the way. The big timber rub? Maybe it's at the junction of two soft edges. Or maybe it's situated at the top of a slight rise that leads from a gnarly swamp bottom to a higher spine of ground. I'm convinced that some bucks make random rubs because they enjoy tussling with saplings. But I'm also convinced that those random rubs rarely show up in random spots. How's that for a terrible explanation? What I mean is that a rub here or there might not look like it gives you much to work with, but it tells you where a buck was at some point. One or two rubs isn't all that exciting, but what if you look around and realize there are 10 or 20 within a couple of acres? It's a different story, my friends. It's also going to get you thinking about why a buck or a couple of bucks spent so much time there and where they came from and where they're going. Clues, my friend, clues. This is setup time. You should be learning as much as you can about right where the deer want to be right now. It's almost like glassing summertime bucks in the weeks leading up to the bow opener. You know that they might stick to their usual bed to food routes. And if they do, and the conditions don't conspire against you, you can kill one. But the setting has changed and the motivation for movement has somewhat changed. But the same rules apply. Again, same rules. Where you see deer, does, little bucks, whoppers is where you'll see them in two weeks in a way that is probably going to be amplified. Where the sign is now it's where you can call your shots later, or at least narrow down your best stand sites into relation to where the bucks are likeliest to feel most comfortable. And of course, you're going to have to factor in those train features that'll funnel movement as well. It all comes together. But the key right now is caution and the realization that you've got the opportunity to remove a fair amount of randomness right out of the rut. Of course, you can't control your target buck taking a two-mile stroll in the wrong direction or the three bucks in your big wood section that all glom onto an early estrus doe but you can play the odds. You can set yourself up to be where a buck will eventually cruise through at some point because of multiple reasons, which are way more in-depth than simply crossing your fingers and hoping that the rut sends one your way through a likely-looking funnel. Now, the rut does send a lot of bucks in a lot of different ways, and you can figure out where by doing something right now and getting into the woods. So go out there, my friends, but be careful. Consider this like a 90-10 split, maybe 80-20, between mostly recon and real serious hunting. Get the info you need to be the killer you want to be soon. But that comes with a big old butt. It always does. There is a danger to being too cautious if you're onto something good right now. If you see a buck that is giving you the green light to move in on him, or, or the sign is just so hot 
that it needs to be hunted, there's really no reason to wait. In fact, waiting is a bad idea. But this is special circumstance stuff that you'll learn to read with more encounters and more experience. So what I mean by that is, there's a difference between seeing a few rubs and talking yourself into hunting every second you can because you feel that this shows the rut is definitely on versus walking into I don't know, a soft edge in the big woods that is absolutely littered with fresh rubs, scrapes, and droppings. Or you know, maybe seeing a buck out at last light as he came out to feed and he looks pretty decent versus watching one two nights in a row stage on a ridge that provides really good cover, a place he looks comfortable. The beauty and the frustration of deer hunting is that there is no right answer for everyone in every situation. It's too variable. You've got to be the one to judge your own situation and be honest with yourself. If you have the discipline to mostly watch, but strike if the stars align, then you're on the right track. If you're worried that you'll talk yourself into hunting your best spots just because the rut is kind of close, or you see one you know, giving you just a glimpse of this antlers walking through the brush or more likely you get a photo of a buck then factor that into your decision making be careful to not mess up something that could really work in your favor in a couple of weeks when the deer do get dumber but don't be so careful you talk yourself out of hunting when you absolutely have something to work with right now (sighs) even i'm tired of listening myself so i'm going to wrap it up right there until next week when we get into almost the best part of the season and what you should be doing as the end of October closes in. That's it for this week, my whitetail loving brothers and sisters. I'm your host, Tony Peterson, and this has been the Wired to Hunt Foundation's podcast. Be sure to tune in next week for more whitetail wisdom and to check out our Wired to Hunt YouTube channel, which is chock full of how-to content. Hey, everybody knows Weber Grills. I've been using Weber Grills my whole life, and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Now, with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear on the same grill. You can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full, great sear zone, so you can put more food on the flame. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood pellet grill. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.